Hey. Hi. Good morning. Uh, it's 6 a.m. What are you doing? Uh, I'm in the car. I'm driving. Uh, got a solid four hours of sleep. Had some delicious uh, lobster and clam pasta. Some olives and these little peppers. That was really good. That was good. Good batch. I think I got a solid four meals out of that. Um, so, you know, cost effective. Um, spent a spent a hundred bucks on lobster and clams, but um, really stretched that one out. Uh, I'm really like steady on my uh, cooking and the leftovers game right now. Um, uh, really trying to trying to focus all of my efforts on uh, efficiency right now. Um, overworking and underpaying for everything. So we'll see how this one works. Well, it's you know in a couple years look back and see see what we think about this. Um, my name is Eli Eli Hansen. Uh, I'm a sculptor, I'm an artist, uh, I'm a technician, I am a historian of uh, craft and materials, and I want to talk about glass tools today. I think that there's a lot of wonderful history in glass tools and the way that they're being used in America right now. Uh, the, all the different tools that have made it into the hands of glass workers here. Um, have come from many different places and gone through a bunch of different forms. Uh, and the allegiances towards certain tools and types of tools is uh, constantly shifting. And what is the right tool and who is the good tool maker uh, is often can be geographic um, as far as you know the different scenes that are in Seattle and New York and California and the Midwest. Um, the style of glass blowing will often kind of dictate what certain tools are getting used. There's some main manufacturers that really are uh, common in most shops all in America, uh, but there's a couple different things that kind of shift over the years, and I've enjoyed watching that and trying to understand that myself. So at the bench, um, the bench being the the place that you sit to turn the pipe, the rails that the pipe sets on, and the bench, the tool bench is off to the right-hand side of that um, of the rails of the sitting bench. And that tool bench uh, is where most of the tools will, the hand tools, will live. Uh, there's a set of four main tools. The jacks, 
tweezers, shears, and diamond shears. And there's a couple different sizes of those that will shift depending on uh, the size of the material, but also the size of the uh, move that you're trying to do. There's small tweezers and big tweezers that generally just have to do with whether you're working smaller or bigger, a way to get a little further away from the heat. But then um, there's also different size shears. There's small trimming shears for trimming the lip of a glass. But then there's larger shears, like bubble shears, uh, that are used to remove bubbles out of the glass, or um, sometimes called casting shears, which are often a little bit longer. And those are more commonly used for um, when you're casting with a ladle, when you are ladling glass out of the furnace and casting it into a mold. Uh, you'll want to sometimes trim that edge off of the ladle. So if you scoop hot glass out of a furnace and you bring a big ladle out of that furnace, uh, the, the the viscosity of the glass will make it so that there's often a half of the ladle still has kind of gooey glass hanging off of it, and you want to trim that off. Uh, there's a couple different techniques involved in ladling that might shift that um, the size of that trail off or make it disappear, uh, and then a couple different techniques you might use to trim it. But there's some of the tools get named like that. The casting shears are named casting shears for that purpose, or for when you're pouring, then you'll want to also cut that tail. Like as you pour and you're done pouring can't just the glass is still connected and so you have to cut it uh, you can't just stop pouring and it'll stop dripping it'll stake it's the surface tension viscosity is such that it will stay connected to itself even a little stringer and you have to cut that stringer otherwise it'll still keep pulling um, so those casting shears, called casting shears, but oftentimes they're used at the bench just as a kind of larger bubble shear. Uh, so you've got your jacks. The jacks are uh, kind of large tweezer-looking tools. Um, they're really unique to glass. The other ones all kind of have you know, shears and tweezers that have other forms you'll find in other tool areas in different shops, uh, non-glass shop, but a jack is a very specific to this, to the glass process. Um, it's two blades that are waxed and a spring handle. Um, and those blades, they're not sharp, they're blades that slide on the glass. Uh, you'll have Smaller ones for small things and large ones for large things. And then uh, there's often a um, one called a goblet jack that has even a, maybe a finer grind on the blade and a certain shaping to the blade, a profile that's a little smoother. Um, 
specifically for small and delicate work. Um, and then the spring handle itself is situated in such a way that when you squeeze the blades together, they sit at a more parallel uh, space at a certain tension uh, for making the cups of like a small goblet cup. Um, and then the tips of those jacks are rounded so that they don't dig into the side of your vessels where maybe a larger jacks you're going to use them mostly on a neckline the place where you will restrict the glass right up against the blowpipe and then when you're done shaping your vessel on the blowpipe you can break it off at the neckline and um, open that neckline up and that neckline where you're going to want to break it it's almost like a perforation like on if you perforate paper or crease paper and then tear it that neckline is like that it creates kind of a weak point that when you're ready to break it you can um, you can break it right there uh, so the jacks are used both on shaping the side and then uh, squeezing down that neckline and then also when you have it once you've got that uh, you break it off the blowpipe and you're attached onto a punty rod uh, you can heat the neck and open it up and you can use the jacks by sticking them inside uh, and opening the vessel from the lip side. There's another to a wooden jacks, or uh, I like to call them lumber jacks, uh, also referred to as parchofies, uh, which I don't know that um, where the root of that term comes from. Uh, I believe it's Italian, and it's probably mispronounced or probably uh, a you know, a bastardization or an incorrect way of uh, uh, talking about that tool could be totally correct. I don't, I don't know all the the Italian roots. Um, there's often different Italian names that get assigned to these tools, and uh, we'll use them in the shop uh, interchangeably sometimes with uh with the English terms or other uh, terms. But the parchofis or lumberjacks are uh, like jacks but have wooden blades. And the wooden blades or um, now a graphite or Teflon blades are also pretty common in American and European shops. Um, I think Teflon is really the smoothest and nicest but it's pretty toxic, pretty nasty, stinky. Um, graphite are really nice also, but they're really fragile and easy to break. Um, the wood is really nice because it's um, easy to replace and very inexpensive, um, but they burn up. They burn up quickly, depending on what you're doing with them. You can kind of chew through them. Um, so that is like a, uh, the same kind of jack handle, spring handle, and then has, 
instead of a brazed on blade has a uh, wood handle that's inserted into a little coupling on the handle or a wood blade that's inserted into a little coupling and you'll use water on that to keep it uh, swollen and and stuck inside the handle weirdly it's pretty common for those handles to be made from a spring a standard spring steel uh, and they always get rusty in uh, because they always sit in water and um, I think traditionally you might not leave them in the water like that and maybe you would wrap the handle keep the hand a little moist but not leave the and the you wrap the wood blade but not keep the handle in water uh, but generally American shops would keep them in the water which is just really detrimental to those handles because the handles are always rusty they started to be more popular stainless stainless doesn't quite have the spring action but uh, they tend to survive in the shops American shops are generally all but there's a lot of them are rental shops they're shops that have many different artists coming through they're open kind of open to the public and they're open shops they're not private factories and the tools are often either there's a public set of tools that'll get used or artists will bring their own tools and generally the public set of tools that are used are a little bit more clunky and not as refined and then a, a very common thing for an American glassblower is to have a suitcase or some sort of carrying case that has their tools in it that they'll bring to the shop to use. And um, that style of working has kind of dictated a little bit like how these tools, what the more functional ones, what, what the function of them are and what becomes preferred like with these wood jacks if you're working in a factory where you have a place that those wooden jacks the lumberjacks can exist um, you might not have to leave them in the bucket but American style we started to just always leave the lumberjacks in the bucket along with the blocks a wooden another wooden tool um, and so that style of working is, you know, I think also we've been less apt to use graphite tools because graphite tools don't go in your suitcase as well. If you carry graphite tools around, they're going to get in your suitcase, they're going to get beat up and they're probably going to break. Where if you're working in a factory setting where have a place where the tools hang up and they're always getting treated really nicely by very professional people that have been doing it for a long time then graphite tools have a longer survival rate um, and so shops are more likely to use those in a factory setting but it's less there's a little less of that there's there's starting to be more there's a, there's a few shops few large production facilities that are started to do that and it started to create that tradition in American style. We're kind of in it in this slow progression towards, you know, 
essentially like any market as as growth happens larger companies step in and start to make uh, you know make large company money and large company choices which is to have dedicated factories rather than renting little spaces the, the companies become big enough where they can have dedicated factories and dedicated sets of tools and dedicated workers and so that's also started to change the traditions of these tools um, i've watched just in my 20 years of, of quite a shift in um, the knowledge base of the workers and the skills of the workers as videos have grown in availability and uh, more and more real training is happening in the university systems glassblowers are getting better and better and the younger ones are coming with more and more skills and really able to produce uh, a different level of glass with a more efficient use of tools and more tool makers making better tools so um there's those lumberjacks, the wooden tools. Um, another wooden tool is the block that I mentioned that will sit in a bucket, often behind the bench. And a block is almost like a ladle, a big wooden spoon kind of looking object that you'll use to cradle the glass. And it's a centering tool um, that more, most commonly use right after you gather hot molten glass on the outside of a cooler core you can use the block to center that glass uh, center the exterior uh, wetter glass the, the softer glass that's hotter you can use that to center that around the outside and place that glass and block that glass into place um, those tools are made usually normally from a fruit wood and traditionally an apple or a plum is a really great fruit wood to use the fruit wood will have a lower oil the sap isn't as oil so a lower oil content in the wood and that if there's too much pitch in the wood uh, that can make it more scummy on the glass and so the fruit woods tend to um, work best on the glass when I was first started blowing glass or just the early 2000s late 90s um, it was really that was that was all that was the the story I heard was just fruit that was the only wood that was to be used and then in the growth of these shops and the wooden tools i've seen more use of maple and even birch and i've seen some oak being used a uh, red oak um somewhat effectively um and i think that what it is is that we're seeing these um 
the growth of just because it's it's harder to get a good fruit wood, uh, you know, a, a nice piece of like the the heart wood of from a plum is really great, but it's harder to get that wood. So mold makers and block makers have started to use maple and other blonde woods that are not so fruit woody, but they. Uh, are to they work great and they're even i it seems to be that some are even not as green they're just regular kiln dried wood that's soaked in water and it turns out that works just fine uh, you know some of it depends on what you're doing and the, the you know the exact nature of what you're going for uh oftentimes uh, in a certain shop, you might really need it to be an exact kind of wood because of a certain process you're doing. And then in another shop, it's not as exact and you're not using the tools aggressively and any kind of wood will actually work fine. Your hot glass will um, ride on a layer of steam and carbon created on those wood tools. So you'll get a kind of soot layer, a carbon layer built up when you start burning it, and then the steam from the water will also create this kind of like micro bed of space that the glass can slide on. It's like a lubricant for it. It's you know graphite can also do this. Graphite and wax, uh, you can use cork. And then another one is a newspaper. And so this is kind of why you can see that it doesn't have to be fruit wood because newspaper ain't made out of fruit wood. Um, and newspaper, um, like a pad of newspaper, you fold, take eight sheets of newspaper and fold it up into an eight inch by eight inch square or so. And then you could use that pad to ride on the outside of the glass or you can lay down sheets of newspaper flat on a table and you can roll the glass on that. With newspaper, you have to be more careful because it can dry up a little quicker and become uh, and create scuzz on the glass. You can use a wooden paddle on the glass. And if you keep the paddle wet, it can kind of ride on the glass for a certain amount of time. If it's dry, it you only have a, it's a quick touch. And then depending on the heat of the glass, it can pick up more scuzz on uh, the paddle uh, to pick up more scuzz on the glass. If the glass is really hot and you and you rub dry wood on it, you'll you'll get a kind of a it's almost like a grayish kind of like burnt soot looking very thin layer of uh, it'll kind of look like a scratch or a scuff on the glass. Uh, and so, depending on the heat of the glass, uh, what wood, depending on the heat of the glass, can dictate what kind of wood you can use and how wet that wood needs to be, and how careful you need to be, and how much time you have to touch that wood. Um, graphite is really nice because you can really it it's, doesn't stick as often, and it's 
really smooth on the glass. Graphite, though, can really be a heat sink. It really can suck the heat out of the glass. And if you're not careful with cooler glass, it can also break the glass. It can also just chill your glass too fast. Sometimes you want it to chill the glass, and that's a great tool to use. But sometimes you want to tool it a little longer, and so graphite can actually be uh, prohibitive to the working process. So you'll have graphite molds and wood molds. You have graphite paddles and wood paddles. Graphite and wood can be kind of interchangeable uh, because graphite already is just that pure carbon and has, well, there's a matrix that holds it together, but it's generally just very carbony. And it can be used uh, in place. But uh, it's also easily damaged. So the wood paddles are really common, and wood blocks are also really common. Um, the block that goes in the in the water, a very way less common block is a brass or bronze block that you would wax. Um, very few shops use those, but that's it. That is a more factory style where you have a the block sits on a table on the marver table on the steel table, and that block you can stand up and use that block. Um, and so you don't have to sit down for it. Um, it cools the glass a little more, but then once you get using it, it actually can heat it up. You use wax in it, so you have to be careful about putting that wax on the glass because wax can act as the lubricant, but if the wax is... It can also um, scum the glass and leave a residue if you're um, not careful with that. Either too hot or even too cold can kind of residue on the glass. Um, so, got that steel table there. That's called a marver. You know, it's maybe a two foot by four foot table. Maybe a little bigger, maybe a little smaller. Um, a big slab of steel on top, a half inch steel. Sometimes they're really thick. Sometimes they're a two inch thick plate of steel on top of big legs and those the thick steel is just so that it's a heat sink so that it sucks the heat out of the glass and also so that it doesn't change shape if you are ladling onto that or using that if you are getting that table really hot from the glass uh, steel will shrink uh, when it gets heated and so if you're heating and cooling and heating and cooling a table it'll kind of cut it'll it'll shrink on the inside and pull the edges up and it kind of gets a potato chip kind of look. So if you have a thin steel table and you ladle a lot of hot glass onto it, you can change the shape of that table. Uh, so you got your steel table, your barber, you have your workbench uh, where the tools go. Behind that workbench, you got a bucket, and that's got the blocks in it and your trophies in it. That workbench, the style that I'm talking about is a pretty Italian style um, where you sit down to work. There's also a style, a stand-up bench um, 
or a stand-up yoke that you'll work at a standing up station and um, that's generally a more Czechoslovakian style where you'll use a thinner blowpipe with a wooden handle and the wooden handle is used on uh, is stuck onto the wooden onto the metal pipe and using water to swell the wood will hold that wood onto that pipe. And there's a couple parts of that that are potentially a little more efficient and a better use of energy where the pipe, the wooden pipe itself is a larger uh, diameter, which is a little better for the ergonomics of your hand rather than holding a small pipe. It's going to be a little bit better in your fingers and wrist to hold the larger pipe. You're going to be able to get more RPMs if the thing you're turning is a small little thing, but you're grabbing, it's like a gear and you're grabbing the larger pipe. Um, but and, and the control is going to be a little more the smaller pipes are, from what the story I heard in the shops, was that the smaller pipes in this style were because the availability during the growth of that glass industry, probably in the, I believe, in the 16th century, um, the growth of that glass industry and around the availability of materials, the raw material steel was less available. It was more expensive. Glass, everything, the raw materials were all more expensive. So the Czechs developed a style that used less steel in the blowpipes. And then they also generally were doing more cold working, cutting and polishing of the glass when it's cold, which had to do with the fact that it was everything was harder to get, so it was more expensive to work glass. It was more expensive to get the fuel. It was more expensive to get the raw material. So they developed a, um, a style that didn't rely as much on the heat and used the glass more efficiently. It made this kind of, you know, the crystal, the, um, the crystal candy dishes of... Um, that era, the fancy ornate plates were made cost less to make them, and it was really the big input was labor, uh, and something that is often always available. And so that smaller pipe then was it was a little easier to stand up, and maybe even just because you didn't have the Availability of materials sitting down was less possible, and because it was because of what they were making was less hand sculpted, maybe more mold blown or more blanks that are just like a simple shape made on the pipe, and then all of the um, more of the work is put in on the cold side of the glass. Once it's cooled down, then you'd be doing the work. And we're on the hot side, you're doing less uh, sculpting and moving in the glass, where in Italian style, a lot of the uh, 
style of glass point is done. It's done hot, and it's done sitting at the bench there that you might want to sit down because it's going to be hard to do, and it's a little trickier um, to do all those little moves. And so those styles, there's a couple different styles of tools that are used there. The block, the check style block is rounder. And part of it is because there's less glass being used on the moil that's left on the part that's on the blowpipe. Uh, so the shaping of that tool and the way that tool is used uh, is essentially more efficient in that it's less using, not using as much glass. Uh, the, actually, you know, the efficiency, I think, can be subjective because it depends on exactly what you're making and, and who's making it. Uh, but there's, you know, these round blocks and then these Italian style of kind of, a, you know, it's almost like a Q-tip or matchstick shape um, that you'll make with that. And that, that leaving that extra glass on the moil is kind of gives you an insulation around the pipe and gives you a little bit longer time on the pipe before it uh, wants to break. Where if you're doing something really quick and you're bolt blowing or making a really simple shape um, and you don't need to spend a lot of time on the pipe, then you don't want to waste any glass on the pipe. And so there'll be less glass on the pipe. So the pipes are made from steel um, they are both made the handles are a mild steel or a carbon steel uh, and then the heads of the pipe are usually a high carbon steel uh, welded on to the handle of the pipe American Styles uses more stainless steel pipes. The stainless steel pipes are, they're nice because they don't get dirty. They don't rust, so they can sit out for a long time and not, uh, they don't need to be cleaned as much. Steel, the stainless steel is generally a little more it's not as flexible. So when it bends, it kind of bends in a like, in a, it kinks. It's not a big kink, but just when it does, it doesn't arch. And it's a little harder to keep it straighter and nice. But uh, they also don't pick up the heat as much. So if they're sitting in a, in a pipe warmer or near a heat source, they, I think just because of their bright nature, they don't um, get as hot, and so they're also preferred in that way. Where the mild steel are usually the darker, um, and, and maybe it just has to do with the chemical composition, the metallurgy. I don't know exactly why they don't get quite as, as hot. Um, and a steel pipe um, would are often a little bit darker in color 
and will get a little rusty. And they're nice because they have a little bit of grip to them. They feel a little more grippy in your hand. It sometimes can be a nicer tool to use in that way. They're not as slick. Um, but they do rust a little bit. They bend a little more, but they're easier to put back into straight. They kind of bend in a nice arc, and they're easier to straighten. They're kind of, I think of them as a little, it's a harder tool to use, but it has a better payoff. So it's kind of one of those ones that will get used by, if you, you know, once you get good at it, you understand the tool that you're dealing with, they kind of become a preferred tool. But at first, the stainless is more preferred because it's, it does have some aspects that make it easier to use. But if you're really cranking on objects and you got a lot of pipes and you don't want to deal with messiness, um, also stainless steel is a really good choice. I like to use them in factory settings also. Um, so it's a stainless steel tube, just a standard tube with a mouthpiece welded on one side. And the other side, the head, is usually about somewhere in the six to eight, maybe even 10 inches long. Um, and that is a, those are machined from a solid slug of a stainless or a high carbon tool steel. And that um, slug is machined down usually with often with a taper so they become a little wider at the very head and taper over four or five inches down and then sleeve inside of the blowpipe and then weld it onto the blowpipe. And that machining process is really a tricky process in getting that um, the hole down the center because the hole is just a small three sixteenths or eighth inch hole in the center of that slug of steel and drilling a hole through a hard steel like that uh, is really tricky. Um, the older style factory um, where you might even have forged out uh, hand forged parts that you might have an iron pipe and that's where I'm not sure if it was actually a gray iron, a ductile iron for that head or what kind of um, iron alloy would have been used for the head. But the more iron it has, in it, the less the glass wants to break off of it as it cools. And so the older style, you would actually need to hand shuck it where when you're done with a blowpipe, you put it into a bucket right now, American style, you put it in a bucket and the glass just breaks off. Where if it's a higher iron content, you'd actually want to, um, you really need to, to chip that glass off. You, you would use almost like a little like machete, a thick dull machete looking tool that would, um, bonk that glass off and you would shuck the pipe in that way. Um, that's a really uncommon style of pipe shucking. 
uh, in America. I don't. I rarely see that style. It's always just uh, these pipes just kind of come from a couple different manufacturers. Um, most of the manufacturers are here in America now. There's still some. Italian pipes, but generally everyone prefers um, the Spiral Arts brand of blowpipes. Um, they're just in every shop, and they're um, really well made, and they either come in the stainless steel or uh, mild steel, carbon steel handle, and um, with this head that's very solid and um, doesn't get too hot where older factory pipes might have a smaller head like making that drilling the hole through that head is really tricky to do so um, some of the old factory pipes wouldn't have as big of a head and you just have to be more careful with those pipes because you can't gather very deep don't want to overheat it. They might be a thinner wall, uh, and so you have to be more careful with those. And some of this is American style, where in the rental studios you get a lot of different people using them, so that thin wall pipes are less common, and bigger, thicker heads are more common. So uh, that in case it does get overheated or does get gathered too deep on, the pipe will be okay. Um, so that's like one of those, I think, slow transitions. There's still, I occasionally run into these old factory style pipes in different shops, but they're not too common anymore. Um, there were some weird pipes being made for a while that had like a, a knurling on them. That was an American style a little bit. Like a knurling is where you machine a kind of texture onto a round surface and um, that was a common there was a there was a pipe manufacturer in the 90s that were making knurled pipes they give it a little grip um, and they were kind of thin walled and knurled and they, they they're just the knurling is really actually kind of more like sandpaper on your hands it ends up uh, if you use them all day they just kind of uh, or, or beat up your hands a little more, and so those didn't those didn't last long. But they became popular. Uh, you know, weird little tool moments. Uh, another tool that I love seeing is bonsai shears, and the bonsai shears uh, became popular because it was a shear that you could buy in America that was sharp. And uh, a, a tool steel. Uh, it held its blade. It was it, it was small enough and it worked good. It didn't have a rubber handle and these kind of you know these bonsai shears you could get at a you know a Japanese hardware tool store, and uh, they work great. Uh, they're not as good as the nice tools that are made now by glass tool manufacturers, and they become less popular. But still, they're still a, they're still around. Um, there's a, a technique where you will um, 
break off a little lip. Like if you want to thin out the lip of a vase, uh, you could stretch out almost like a little mushroom-looking part of the neck, and you stretch it out, and you cut a little line, and you put a little restriction, a little constriction down, and then you um, break that bit off, and that will thin out the lip. And that move is, sometimes I hear it in California referred to as a jack and crack, where you jack down a little bit, and then you crack it off. Um, I used to hear referred to in the Northwest as a hippie trim. And I don't know exactly where that hippie trim um, term came from. But it seemed to be that it was because part of this was because in the Northwest and in the, the initial phases of glassblowing is that we didn't have good tools. We didn't have shears that were sharp enough and technique that was efficient enough to trim a thinned lip so getting getting a lip hot enough and having shears that can trim it even bonsai shears steel is too thin and it's hard to trim a lip with that you need a, a short little blade that's you know, maybe an inch inch and a half long and it you want it a little thicker if it's too thin it's going to pick up the heat by the time you get get all the way through the trim and it's going to start sticking to the glass um so even the bonsai shears, they'll cut the glass, but they still are thin enough that they'll pick up the heat if the glass is really hot, and they'll pick up the heat and they'll start to stick to glass. Um, and so it's a very specific, small little tool. It needs to be small so it can kind of get in this small space, where like a tin snip might be a thick enough, but it's just not, um, it's going to be too big. And so... The hippies of the initial um, growth period of glass would trim their glass just by pulling out the little neck. They didn't cut it with shears, and that started getting called a hippie trim. Uh, and now it's just called a jack and crack. And it's—I mean, it works. It's a—it's a just another technique for thinning out the lip. And there's actually reasons you might want to use that as opposed to using the shears to cut it. And there's times you actually might want to use the shears. Or using the shears, you're pulling the glass together and kind of sealing in the lip. Um, where if you're jacking and cracking it, you can leave, like if there's layers of color, you can leave those colors exposed, um, which can just have a certain look. Um, if you're going to be combining parts together and lips together, you might want to use that exposed lip, or you might really not want to have that exposed lip. You might want to seal it with the shears. Um, so these terms and the way that they get used, and now that we have the availability of really nice tools, like uh, Jim Moore makes these really wonderful hand tools. And um, as he's grown and become, you know, a very standard tool maker in these shops, every shop has these tools in it. And... Uh, you know, he based a lot of his tool making on Poosh uh, tools. Poosh Menacone was a tool manufacturer for, for factories. And, uh, you know, he's also just, as, as a glassmaker himself and somebody that understands tools, has kind of 
found what Americans want and the way that we use the tools and build these tools to fit the, um, the style of glassblowing. Uh, because some of the old push tools are a little bit more factory style where they're a little more heavy duty and they're designed to kind of take a little bit more of a beating and uh, be used in their, you know, they're maybe a little bit more aggressive, like they're maybe a little heavier and thicker uh, that you might want if you're using them for the same move all day, every day. But if you want something that has a little bit more flexibility, you might want a different tool. Uh, and so, man, these fucking tools. There's so much to talk about with these hand tools. But I think I kind of veered off from the blowpipes there. But I think that... Um, I think I covered most of the stuff about blowpipes and those, what they're used for. Uh, and then we got back into the hand tools, into the, the shears, the bonsai shears that I love. Um, I've never actually had a pair of those. I've always loved them, but I've never owned one uh, because they're also kind of a pain in the ass. They don't actually work that but they're really cool to see them. And you can kind of tell an age. You can kind of age a glass blower. Or put them in a region if you see if they have bonsai shears. Um, they're either older or they came from some weird, like, older outsider glass blowing world uh, in, the, in the hills of the Northwest or in Chico. Chico, California has a really great kind of old school uh, glass blowing circle that they've kept some really old school techniques there um, that have been kind of awesome to see um, bonsai bonsai shears um, what about glory holes the different glory holes that's the reheating chamber the reheating furnace um, there are um, a couple different ways that you're going to heat those up. Usually it's gas, and it's usually it's either gas, it's propane or natural gas. Um, and propane or natural gas, and then um, you're going to have a burner, and you're going to have a blower. You want to have a, a airflow into there, and you usually have to have forced air, just to be a blower, be the, the air, the, the force of for the air. And then you're gonna have a burner head that's like a you know a ceramic burner block. It's a either a round you know size of a soup can sort of looking thing, and it has a holes like a quarter inch diameter or so uh, a bunch of holes in the face um, and that will then have fittings on it that are that would you know standard black iron plumbing fittings you know usually inch and a half or two inch in diameter uh, and 
round ones or a square ones, a ribbon burner. Uh, those are the kind of two main styles. The round ones often be a Gibberson, and Dudley Gibberson kind of pioneered this style of burner head um, that's round, and then there is a ribbon burner kind of pioneered by Pine Ridge burners. Ribbon burners are generally a little quieter um, and can be, they can provide a more even heat. They're a longer ribbon, so they can be 12 or 14 inches long, and they can have, they spread the heat out. Um, they can be a little quieter. To um, Gipperson round burner heads can be louder, a little more aggressive, um, and a, a smaller and hotter flame space. Um, they're both like the round burner heads can be a little less efficient. They are a surface mix, um, which means the I'm sorry, they're not. They're a premix, um, and the gas and air are mixed before they get to the burner head, and um, and so. If you do a premix, you can't really preheat the air because the air will get um, because it'll it'll combust inside the burner head if it gets too hot. If it gets over 350, 400 degrees, you can start to have combustion inside the burner head, and then that will cause back burning, and then that will uh, be inefficient, potentially dangerous, and just not. It doesn't work. Um, the Pine Ridge burners are quieter, like the, the, the ribbon burners are quieter, but they will, um, because they don't have the same airflow, it's like a wider kind of almost, hey, let's see if it's a high velocity, low pressure system. Um, without that back pressure, they can also, the burner head itself can get hotter and deteriorate the burner head quicker. They don't work as well on a continuous duty. They're good for glory holes, they're good for firing up for a day. They're not as good for keeping on all the time unless you have a way to cool those heads. Um, it's surprising that we don't have a more scientific-y kind of burner heads, like water-cooled or like a more better cooling system. We're a little bit stuck in the old-timey ways of um, just like these very rudimentary systems. Um, Spiral Arts has started making a more high-tech burner head, and they've kind of redesigned the ports and the flow and everything so it actually is a way better system it's still this kind of same um, premix system and then there's also a uh, eclipse burner and eclipse is a brand that makes it's just a big open tube and those are much more industrial factory style those are more common in the um, in industry larger industry and those just a round hole like a two-inch port, and those are surface mix. And the nice thing about those is that you can um, 
preheat the air. You get the air to 900 degrees. And then... Uh, then when you're bringing it in, it's, it's, it's combusting immediately, and it's a little more efficient and full combustion. Um, having a pressurized air... I've actually heard that there's a compressed air system that... Um, is even more efficient. And so having recuperator where you recuperate the heat and then preheat the air and then use a pressurized system um, can be a... There's lots of uh, reasons that might be more efficient, but it's also those are the kind of things that are, are harder. They're like high, more high-tech. And the nice thing about the pre-mix round burner heads as you can they are really like there's no moving parts and they're really simple and uh, you know you can cast the burner head yourself you can plummet yourself you can make the little mixing uh, nozzles and you can have a pre-mix right in the tube on the way in and you can have it you can kind of like a lot of it can just be eyeballed, and it will work great. And it will be a little loud, but it's going to work really good. It's going to get really hot. Um, these are also generally used pretty regularly in um, blacksmith furnaces in a forge. That's what they'll call those furnaces. And uh, So there's a lot of kind of back and forth between glass blowing furnaces and forge and what's being used is you know it's still kind of a really like a 70s maybe 80s technology um we're getting there but uh, they're pretty pretty uh pretty old timey pretty funky um so difference in heat the Round burner heads, a Gibberson burner head, is going to provide a tighter little heat zone. And oftentimes in the glory hole, you'll put that burner head a little closer to the front of the glory hole, maybe like, you know, a fifth of the way back into the glory hole from the face. And then you'll point that burner head at an angle, like coming into the hole at a 45-degree angle and making a kind of swirly effect. And so that you're moving the air around so there's a, a more even, so you're not just getting a tight little heat zone, just blasting one spot, but you're moving the air around. But you'll still have kind of a little hotter spot right there at the entrance to the glory hole. Um, where you can use that burner head to heat that spot. And then the difference with the with the ribbon burners is that you don't really need to make it have the swirly effect. It doesn't really do that because it isn't moving the air in the same way. It's a it's a because it's a wider thing, it just isn't moving the air so rapidly. Um and So the ribbon burners, you'll get a more even heat. And if you get used to using a round burner 
then you go to a ribbon burner, it can be a little tricky because um, it, you're used to that like tight little heat zone in the front of the glory hole, and then the ribbon burner you go in, and the whole thing gets hot, and it can oftentimes the ribbon burner glory holes can just really just feel hotter. Um, and maybe at first, my when I started using them, I found that they were they were too hot and there was too much heat in the back. Um, uh, now, like in California, all pretty much all the shops that I'm at are using these ribbon burners. And in the Northwest, it's really, really, really regular, all just using the round burner heads. Um, everyone either using a Giberson or they're making a style, a Giberson style burner head. Um, and so you know, having like two or four of these round um, burner heads in a big, huge glory hole rather than a ribbon burner uh, was more common. Ribbon burners are definitely a little more finicky. Okay, here we are. Uh, I don't know. This one was really crazy. I've still got a lot more to talk about. Um, I've just kind of gotten into glory holes, and now I'd like to talk about furnaces. Um, and then probably talk about glass mixture and stuff. Um, but what does it mean? What are we even doing here? Well, um, it's story time. That's what we're doing. It's crazy story time. And um, we're recording our thoughts so that you can uh, think about all this stuff. And then if you don't know what I'm talking about, it might be really interesting to listen to. And if you do know what I'm talking about, you might be just really upset this whole time about all the things that I'm saying that are wrong. So... Hopefully there's a little bit of both. I'm glad you're listening. I'm glad you give a fuck about this. Um, I really do. And um, we'll get back to this in part two uh, in a couple hours. I'm going to go make some glass. Uh, so thanks for listening. And I really appreciate your support. And I love you a lot. Okay. This is the end of message. Bye for now.